0: Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Podcast, sharing tools, tips, and techniques for healthcare quality improvement with a special focus on managing data. Here's the latest update. Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Quality Podcast. My name is David Kashmir. I'm a lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt and a trauma surgeon. And today, I'd like to discuss with you some of the perils, pitfalls, tools, tips, and techniques for effective healthcare quality improvement data collection. We'll talk about how to collect quality improvement data without even putting down your wings during the Super Bowl. We recently had one of the Games for the Ages in the Super Bowl, and I wanted to use that to kind of highlight some of the important key factors in collecting data and just how to make it as easy as possible to collect data for our healthcare quality improvement projects. Well, of the many barriers we face while trying to improve quality in healthcare, none is perhaps more problematic than the lack of good data. Although everyone seems to love data, I see so much written about healthcare data and the use of data on LinkedIn and other platforms, it is often very tough to get that good data. And when we do get it, again, much of the data we get really are junk. It's not easy to make meaningful improvements based on junk data. So what can we do to get meaningful data for healthcare quality improvement? And in this entry, with this podcast today, I'll share some of those tools, tips, and techniques for getting meaningful quality improvement data from your healthcare system, and I'll share how to do that by telling this story about Super Bowl LI. About 10 minutes before kickoff of Super Bowl Fifty One. I had a few questions about the game, and I was wondering if there was a simple way to gauge the performance of each team and make some meaningful statements about that performance. When we do quality improvement projects, it's very important to make sure it's as easy as possible to collect data. I I recommend collecting data directly from the process rather than retrospectively or from a data warehouse. Why? Why? Well, for one, I was taught, as I learned Lean and Six Sigma, that the more filters the data pass through, the more likely they are to be cleaned up or otherwise altered. And it's not intentional, as if anyone's trying to hide or somehow manipulate data in a bad sense. It's just that the data tend to lose fidelity and lose a direct representation of what's going on in the system. Whether you agree or not, my experience has definitely substantiated that teaching. Well, the issue with that is how can we collect data directly from the system? I mean, isn't that very cumbersome? You know, in healthcare, we often don't have staff to collect data. And like you, I've heard each of those barriers before. And that is what makes these tools and tips I'm about to share so useful. So back to me then, sitting on my couch with a plate of wings and a Coke, ready to watch the Super Bowl. I wanted data on something that I thought would be meaningful. And remember, this wasn't a full DMAIC project. It was just something to see if I could quickly describe the game in a meaningful way. It would require me to collect data easily and quickly, especially if those wings were going to get eaten. The Healthcare Quality Podcast, bringing you keys to unlock your data. So first, decide whether you'll collect discrete or continuous data. And as the first few wings disappeared, I decided what type of data I wanted to collect. I definitely collect continuous data if at all possible, not discrete. Well, that part of the deciding was pretty easy. If you wonder why, and you're not familiar with particular podcast, uh, with a previous podcast, Uh, podcasts about discrete versus continuous data, have a look at the other list of podcasts. We have one on discrete versus continuous data, or you can uh, link to the blog entry. Uh, An entry of the same name as this podcast is present on the blog, and you can click the link there, and that'll take you over to some of the differences between discrete and continuous data. Okay, so the next issue is that these data had to be very easy for me to get. They needed to be something that I had a reasonable uh, reasonable belief <clears throat> uh, would correlate with something important. Okay, um, scoring touchdowns. I mean, that's the whole point of the game. So as wings number three and four disappeared and the players were introduced, I decided on my data collection plan. First, I'd collect how far away each offense was from scoring a touchdown when possession changed. Second, each data point would come from where the ball was at the start of fourth down. Interceptions, fumbles, change of possessions like an interception before fourth down would not be recorded. And that was my third most important point. I'll get to why in a minute. Fourth, touchdowns scored were recorded as zero yards away. Fifth, a play where a field goal was attempted would be recorded as where the ball was at the start of that down. So if you're about to kick a field goal, it's fourth down, your 32-yard line, it's going to be Uh, recorded as uh, you're at the 32-yard line when possession changed. Your offense had brought the ball to the 32-yard line uh, of the other team. Now, of course, for formal quality projects, we would collect more than just one data endpoint. Additionally, we would specify exactly what the operational definition of each endpoint is. We'd also make a sample size calculation. Now, here, I intended to collect every touchdown and change of possession, Where a team kicked away on fourth down. Or they went for it, but they didn't make it. So this wasn't a sample of uh, just those moments. It wasn't a sample really at all. It was going to be all of them. Um, Of course, they don't happen all that often. Well, that was a big help here because I could anticipate them because they didn't happen really all that often. And that was all very important so that I could eat those wings. I wasn't sure exactly how many possession changes like this there would be, uh, but I thought that I'd probably have enough. Again, with a formal project, we'd perform a sample size calculation, uh, and we would be sampling from a larger population usually, and we'd know exactly how many uh, points we would be sampling. Items like interceptions, fumbles, and other turnovers couldn't be anticipated as easily. Uh, they would make me have to pay attention to where the ball was spotted at the beginning of every down. And it was really difficult uh, just to look at the TV with the yellow line that they superimpose on the field to figure out where the ball was on the downs I was paying attention to. So it was tough enough just to do it for the downs I was going to record. It would be very tough to do it for each down. So with those rules in mind, I set out to record the field position whenever possession changed, according to those ideas above. I thought the the position the offense wound up its possession at, you know, over time might correlate with who won the game. Meaning the offense was bringing the ball further against the defense in general, and that should indicate who won. Uh, it's kind of a single metric to get a sense of uh, who won. So the more effective the team was at doing that, the less variance in field position over time probably should correlate with who wins the game. Less overall variance in a final position might mean that that team had less moments where it underperformed and lost possession nearer to its own end zone. I mean, of course, it could also mean that the team never reached the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, in fact, if the offense played the whole game between their opponent's 45 and 50 yard line, there'd be very little variation in field position. But they also probably wouldn't score much at all. So maybe it would be a combination of better field position overall, like a higher median field position, better median field position, and low variation in field position, and maybe that would indicate who won the game. I thought those might. Let's see if I was right. Next, I quickly drew a continuous data collection check sheet, and there's a photograph of it on the blog. It's very simple. Uh, Not even a great scale on the thing. It was just an easy way to record data. It's an important tool for you when you go to collect continuous data right from your process. The continuous data collection sheet can be very simple and very easy to use. It really takes a second to collect data. That was about it. I went through the game watching, like you. The Patriots fall way behind for the first two quarters. And then after some Lady Gaga halftime show with drones, I looked at the data and I noticed something interesting. The Patriots' data on distance from the end zone Seem to demonstrate less variance than the Falcons. And again, the data collection sheets, the actual ones, are right on there. It was odd. Yes, they were very far behind. Yes, there had been two costly turnovers that led the Falcons uh, to open up a huge lead. But strangely, in terms of moving the ball and getting closer to the end zone, based on their own offense, the Patriots were doing a lot better than the Falcons. Well, three people around me pronounced the Patriots dead, and one even said that we should change the channel. Obviously, we were really glad we didn't. If you've read this blog before, you know that one of the key beliefs it describes is that data are most useful when they can change our minds. These data, at least, made me unsure if the game was over. And we kept it on. As you know, no spoiler alert by now, really, The game was far from over, and the Patriots executed one of the most impressive comebacks, if not the most impressive, in Super Bowl history. Data collected and wings eaten without difficulty. Check and check. So the final data collection sheets are listed on the blog for both the Patriots offense and the Falcons. you know the hqp is on soundcloud and itunes visit us there and at the podcast's home surgicalbusinessmodelinnovation.com You notice you'll see a number in parentheses in the parentheses next to the distance from the end zone when the possession changed and that number is the possession number so if you have if you look at these sheets and you see 50 uh, uh, 52 and then in parentheses seven that means the falcons were 52 yards away from the patriots end zone when they punted the ball on their seventh possession of the game An entry like zero and then 10 in parentheses meant that the team scored a touchdown. They were zero yards from the opposing team's end zone on their 10th possession. Notice that collecting data this way and stacking similar numbers on top of each other makes a histogram over time. You build a histogram slowly, and that's what let me see how the variation of the Patriots' final field position was smaller than the Falcons at about the halfway mark through the game. So already by kind of the close of the second half, I could see that the Patriots offense, when it wasn't being intercepted or there wasn't a turnover, was actually moving the ball better than the Falcons. Anything to learn from the data collection? Well, recently, I put the data into Minitab to see what I could learn. And the histograms are listed also on the blog entry. Uh, We show a summary report for the Patriots and a summary report for the Falcons with different associated statistics, like the Anderson-Darling test uh, for normality for each one, and the mean listed for each one. Uh, It doesn't list the median, interestingly, which would probably be more valuable here. The variance lists the variance um, for each one, and you can notice a few items. First, each set of data do not deviate from the normal distribution per that Anderson-Darling test. Uh, but that, that comes with a word of caution. There's so few data points in each set that it can be difficult to tell which distribution they follow. In fact, I even took each data set and tried distribution fitting against other known distributions to see if it um, it uh, fit clearly with any other, dist- or did not deviate from other distributions. And again, because there are so few, um, there are so few points in the data set it's hard to say it doesn't seem to deviate substantially from the normal distribution or a three-parameter log normal or a Weibull. It, it doesn't deviate significantly because there just really aren't that many data points. So the bottom line is I can't be sure which distribution it follows. Maybe the normal distribution, maybe not. As far as statistical testing goes, uh, to large degree, it's not necessary. Because again, this is not a sample of these moments. These are the population of all of these moments. So to test for a significant difference between them with like a Mood's Median test or a KW test for variance uh, that does not rely on normality, which I would recommend in this case, uh, you don't really need to do that as much because this is the whole population. So you can say, yeah, there's a difference. Because there was, it was the entire population of these moments. In the end, we're left with some important questions. Again, the variance exhibited by the Patriots offense uh, in, in general is le- is not just in general, is less than the uh, variance exhibited by the Falcons offense. And that highlights that the Patriots in general were able to move the ball closer to the Falcons end zone by the time possession changed. Again, turnovers are not included. Does that decreased variation correlate with the outcome of every football game? Can it be used somehow to predict the outcomes of games? I don't know, at least not yet. After all, if stopping a team inside their own 10-yard line once or twice, which would increase the variance, uh, was a major factor in predicting who won the game, well, that would be very useful. If data is, are collected uh, by the league on field position, which I haven't been able to find easily, we could apply this idea to previous games, maybe see around halftime what the variances were, and see whether that predicts the winner routinely. And if it did, we could apply it to future games. Regardless, uh, in the case of the Super Bowl uh, 51, the Patriots offense demonstrated a better median field position and less variation in overall field position compared to the Falcons. And we can see that. And because that was already happening, Um, around the close of the second quarter uh, we kept the game on Uh, and that's from George EP box of the box Cox uh, transform fame uh, fame so uh, that always comes up in my mind when I do things like this and larger projects because every model has some way it's not going to quite fit or be defective or it won't be predictive of what's gonna happen next but some models are very useful Final recommendations on how to eat wings and collect data? Well, uh, more importantly, uh, this entry highlights a few interesting tools for data collection for your healthcare quality project. At the end of the day, in order to continue all the things you have to do and collect good data for your project, here are my recommendations. First, get data right from the process, not a warehouse or after it has been cleaned. Go to where you're doing the work or go to the Gemba, if you use the sort of Japanese terms, and get the data right from there. Second, use continuous data. Avoid discrete data. It doesn't tell you as much. Uh, It makes you collect a lot more. Third, remember the continuous data check sheet, like we've shown on the blog, can be very simple to set up and use. And then fourth, when you create a data collection plan, remember the sample size calculation and operational definition. It should be part of every time uh, you perform one of these projects. Fifth, I recommend rewarding the person who collected the data, maybe even with wings. Have a great day, hopefully you uh, find this podcast useful on some key tips that allow you to do several things and wear the many hats you have to in healthcare, but also collect meaningful data. Thanks for tuning in to the Healthcare Quality Podcast. Are you using these tools for healthcare quality improvement?